Welcome to Dial It Up. I'm Mike Nada. And I'm Randy Redekop. The series of podcasts contains a, a number of conversations we've had with educators about the role of digital technology in the classroom. In today's episode, Rennie sits down for an interesting conversation with Devin King. Thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, chat with us. And well, you're you're part of the podcast community now. Yeah. So we all come together on our ND mattresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we get some uh, boxed food delivered to us, and we all come together. This is this is what we do now. Yeah. And while we're at, why don't you uh, give us the name of your podcast? People, can look oh, it up. people aren't coming to you for my podcast, but it, it's called The Shape of Education to Come. Right. And uh, it's, uh, I think like yours, uh, some, something conversational with teachers in Manitoba, around Manitoba, and uh, sometimes globally, just talk about what it means to be a good teacher. Yeah, good. Anyway, so my... Um, thought of speaking to you is I teach a teacher and technology course at U of M and one of the I mean we look into various topics uh, in tech educational technology one of the ones that comes up is gaming Mm -hmm. and you wrote a chapter for us Mm -hmm. in our uh, first ebook and it was about using video games in the classroom yeah and you know, the, a number of students were intrigued by that concept. Uh, you know, being somewhat leery of using this, um, you know, for now we'll use your word, uh, text, you know, working on the text within that. And mm-hmm. I know we had some I was going online to say, discussions. We, we debated that. the use of that word. Yeah. And, you know, so I'll ask about, you know, how, I mean, first, first of all, you know, you can talk about how you... Um, how you use that in your classroom. And then I think we should talk a little bit about this whole what is the text, and we won't debate whether that's the right word or not. (laughs) We may. (laughs) Well, we can. Because ultimately, here's what I think. I think that, and I I don't know what you call it, but I I call it game-based learning. Mm -hmm. Some people call it gamification, which I think is actually... Yours is different. Mine is different, and that's intentionally. Uh, Gamification, um, to me, is something more... Capitalistic, and I mean yeah. that in a uh, a neutral way. Normally, I would mean that in a antagonistic way, uh, but I mean that in a neutral way. When we talk about gamification, it's the way that we apply the practice of games, to, usually for monetization of something. And I do see that used interchang- interchangeably in education. Um, and so, game-based learning, I think, lends itself more to the idea of text. But before we get to some of that stuff, and I think this might feed into it, yeah. you said that students are leery of the concept, and why do you think that is? Because they haven't tried it, they aren't sure about the pedagogical content. Like, will I be covering the right SLOs? Mm. Um, you know, and I try and discourage them from focusing too much on those. Look at the GLOs, you know, and what are you really trying to accomplish in your classroom? Um, but you know, they're they're very much into curriculum documents, and am I hitting specific uh, SLOs and outcomes? I think that's, you know, or is it yeah, just a fun thing that we do that doesn't really have huge educational value? It's funny to me that that's a criticism because... No, it's a concern. 
Well, okay, yeah. sure. We, oh, it's going to be one of those keep, conversations. They want to keep their drugs. <laughs> but it's funny, though, because we yeah. uh, there's this idea in education that learning and fun are different things. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a, a different conversation in a different podcast. But why is it that we're trying to take play out of learning? We, we can see a lot of people who work in office jobs, that type of job, um, and it's not fun. And I don't know that people love their jobs. And so I'm curious to know why we would want to extend that to education, why we would desire to make it that's fun. Again, that's a rhetorical question. Right. Um, but I and I but I sympathize with those teachers. Like that's that's part of the learning I hope for them too in, in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and in, in reading your chapter from the book, uh, they they're thinking, hmm, this might be something I could do. If we could just do this all saying nice things about me, let's just let's just do it. If you could just give me a list of nice things <laughs> about me writing. Yeah. How did you use it? How okay. did this hit objectives or how did it work in your classroom? The, th- the thing I want to preface by saying is it's it is tricky right. because um, if you're to use uh, like a AAA game, something on a, a PlayStation or a Nintendo, it doesn't lend itself naturally to a classroom. Mm-hmm. In my department that I'm in now, we talk about add-ons versus add-ins, yep. and that seems like an add-on. Like you have to get a TV involved, and that's actually what we did. So this is what I did when I was teaching. Um, in a grade four or five class. We had a section of our room which had a small TV and a like, GameCube to teach Legend of Zelda the Wind Waker. And uh, it was 15 minute rotation, so that it was on all day. It was a small section where um, one student was playing and they had a partner who watched and talked with them. So it became a, a collaborative approach in playing. So the intent in that there was a few. Um, we had a weekly meeting where we would talk about the story. And my major intent was not a traditional or a, a common curricular outcome. I was really thinking about making independent learners. Mm-hmm. And we used the game to practice strategies for success. And then we could have conversations about how did you find success in the game. And I used those conversations in their reading and their math to show them that they have and can use strategies for success. And then how can we transfer that same mentality and sometimes the same strategies into the curricular part. So it was part of the uh, cluster zero kind of stuff, the skills based. Because games are really good at teaching and giving feedback. One of the elements of games, like they don't come with instruction manuals anymore. You don't sit down and read mm-hmm. before you play. You jump and you just do it. And that's because the game teaches you as you go. Right. And by considering the way that games build up our capacity for independence, we can then apply that in the classroom. As long as you're having those conversations. It's a time for conversations that makes for rich learning. Yeah, and that's one of the things I talk about with my students. It's not the game itself. That's a great experience, and regardless of what the experience is, it's the teacher's role to have those conversations, to pull out the meta stuff that's going on, because kids aren't necessarily going to see that. Okay, 
oh, I'm getting really good at collaboration, or I'm getting really <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the, the, uh, the parallel to that is, let's say literacy. I mean, as much as I've taught tech, as much as that was a chapter involving tech, I, I consider it more a literacy practice than a, mm -hmm. a tech practice. I think we're really used to, in ELA, the content of it. So we're happy just to discuss the content of it. Right. But because we're not used to video games, we say, well, we discuss the content of this. And so that becomes foreign. But we're doing the exact science class. There's, there's a lot of skills that are important there. But I bet if you're to walk into a high school science class right now, you're having a lot of content right. given in there. We're totally fine with that. I'm not even saying you couldn't do the content of games, but the the skills part, I think, is in literacy or in, in the game-based learning. I think that's the really valuable stuff. That's what creates independent learners when they leave the classroom. We actually don't care if they play video games. And maybe we care about literacy, um, but we care more about the skills they use in all of those to be people in the world. Right. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> turn you loose because you used the word the content in the video games <laughs> twice, <Sure. laughs> which is a word that I would prefer over the text of the game. Yep. But okay. talk about how you see that. I'm trying to think of how to approach that question. When you look at a book, right. do you see content or do you see text? I would have to say content. Okay. Yeah. So what is text to you? Is it literally, is it like, for you, is it literally words? Yeah, I'm kind of stuck in that mode. Okay. The word text isn't super important. Um, no, and that's why we yeah. had an agreeable disagreement. Sure. <laughs> Ultimately, I think when I consider a text, for me, uh, that is an object that requires a type of literacy. Mm -hmm. And what we are discovering now, and I'm thinking of the work of uh, Julie Coiro in this, there are different kinds of literacies. And in fact, teaching traditional literacy practices in online domains, uh, I think particularly in websites or social media, those literacy practices don't apply because it's a different kind of literacy. You can use some of it, but it actually requires mm -hmm. entirely new skills. So to me, a text is something that conveys meaning and you need a form of literacy to approach it. So if we have a novel, it is uh, ink on a page that forms shapes that we then decode and uh, we make connections to to process understanding. Okay. A, a game, no, let's say a painting. Um, in a painting, it's paint on a page that requires understanding of color, and, and shape in order to make understanding, to get some understanding. We extend that to video games. Okay, we have images, like a painting, um, that we use to decode the process of it. Sometimes it, it's involving story, sometimes it's involving uh, the image. But again, ultimately, it is a text that we're using literacy practice for. So you can call it content, but in the way that I approach, I don't think that, and it, we can use it synonymously, but. yeah. Content, tell, tell me I'm text, wrong, right? Content meaning, no, you're not wrong. It's just <laughs> me being picky about what And I've had this argument with other people, too. About, you know. Well, it's interesting, though, that you framed it in your... you having a hard time moving past it because of, like, your own history with it. Mm -hmm. For you, is there a point where you say, huh, maybe I need to rethink this? Like, maybe it is... Maybe it's my baggage versus... 
the, the actual word itself. But. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or my thinking is we need better words to describe mm. what we're doing. That you know, let's leave text behind and get into new terminology for new ways of looking at, uh, in particular, digital media. But, uh, Do you have a word in mind? Not a really good one for the time being. Content or meaning mm -hmm. would you know, be my inclination on that one. I don't so. know what it is about the word content. I don't. I, <laughs> See, there's, it, there's your hang up? Or, yeah, I, but I don't <laughs> think it's related to um, my age or experience. But, but when I imagine the word content, what I envision is a glass container hmm. filled with right. like gruel, yes. right? Um, gr no, gruel. Fair enough, because that's the way it's often been pre yeah, presented. Right. Sure. This yeah. is this is the sum total of the knowledge in yeah. Your and and I mean, when we talk about text, I think it's important to, to say that this, if we're talking about game-based learning, using games for learning, it's not replacing anything. We're not, I don't think anyone's saying get rid of books, at least not for that reason. I yeah. think there might be other reasons to get rid of certain books, but to replace with games, no. Uh, I don't think that's, that's the point. From my tech time, there's the the SAMR model, mm -hmm. which I only remember the S in. The substitution. Substitution, and then it's all augmentation, augmentation modification, modification, and, and reinvention. reinvention. Yeah, so um, this is not a substitution, um, but it is rethinking the way we see the world and the skills that we need to be a part of the world. And for the students who, or for anyone, who is skeptical of the use of them. Uh, I understand that. But the world that students are growing up in is different than the ones that we grew up in. And the way that they interact is different. And I think it's incumbent on us to think about the world that they're going to inhabit and to think of giving them the skills to work in those. Like, let's, let's, so in games, one of the essential elements of games is collaboration. Uh, and we work, sometimes we don't work at all to do collaboration in our classrooms. That's right. not always great. It's not great at all. Um, and we, But we often find that students have a hard time collaborating in our classrooms, whether that's because they're nervous about sharing or whatever. Um, but a lot of them can collaborate online. And so that's interesting, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we talk about students who can't, okay, what are we doing to promote that? One of the elements of a good game is an aspect of sharing and collaboration. Games are, in some ways, way ahead of education because they get that piece. And not all teachers are there yet. Games can be a way to bring that forward, but if you're not ready for it, I'm not sure that's the best model either. Yeah. No, it, we, yeah, we have to prepare kids for all sorts of literacies that, you know, some of which we can't even dream of yet. That's exactly the thing. Yeah. And... So, you know, we're worrying about whether the word is text or meaning or content. Or the bigger practices are what's more <clears throat> yeah. important. Um, and one of the things, like, I'm actually I'm, I'm writing a piece on this right now. And I'm curious, did anyone get concerned about, like, the content of games, like the, the violence? Did anyone bring that out? Um, well, yeah, they, um, you know, can you use uh, certain games in the classroom and... You know, people have uh, used Grand Theft Auto, yep. you know, and pulling out the character 
yeah. you know, characterization and you know, the moral codes and, and things like that. Um, you know, that, that would be higher risk in terms of getting the community parents administration yeah, for sure. to buy into that. And you'd have to be pretty clear it, about why, why it is you're right. using it. It's very uncommon in English literature to feature texts with crime and punishment mm-hmm. in them. You never hear of crime and punishment in English. Oh, no, wait. That's literally one of our formative texts. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's funny, isn't it, that we have certain hangs up, hang-ups about those. Now, the thing with Grand Theft Auto and, and other AAA games is that um, they require many, many, many hours to play. Yeah. So your intent going into that, I don't think could realistically be the character or even the story because you're never going to get through it. Right. Um, and so in a, a practical application in the classroom... Your intent has to be something else. And for me, that's why the strategic piece came in. Um, James Paul G., right. um, who's someone who I've, uh, who I base a lot of this idea, these ideas on, uh, he talks about the idea of good games, mm-hmm. which is a phrase that I don't particularly like either because the idea of, of good is pretty subjective. Uh, and what's good for one person is not for someone else. Um, but intentional games might be better. In the same way, that we, we don't um, demonize literature for Mein Kampf. Like we, do, right. it, we wouldn't say, well, we should have to teach literature because someone might do Mein Kampf. No, no one will do that. Yeah. Um, let's do that teacher in Alberta who well, yeah. denied the Holocaust. Maybe he yeah. did. Um, it's interesting to me because a lot of our hang-ups, mm-hmm. I think, are rooted in our uh, unconscious affinity for... Uh, like the industrial model of education. Yes. And, and we don't know that we love it yeah. or that we're used to it, but it's there. And I, Particularly in high school where we've oh, compartmentalized yeah. knowledge. Yep. Like, um, I've, I've worked at a bunch of high schools and, I, and there's lots of great teachers, but I think the pedagogy of high schools uh, is, is not as strong as in elementary. It's, right. it's more content-focused than learner-focused. Um, like if, I was to, if I would take this in a different direction, probably because it's like setting them up for a hypothetical university. Mm-hmm. Right? And un- university embraces it even less. Yes. And so, uh, so maybe universities are the problem. <laughs> Not going to argue that one. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears. What are you doing now? Uh, so I work in the induction and learning, actually the induction and learning program. Hmm. It's a mentoring program for the Winnipeg School Division. Um, and so mentoring for teachers. That's right. Yeah. So when a teacher gets a permanent contract in the division, uh, part of my role is to find an appropriate mentor, an experienced teacher in the division who matches their needs. We we do a needs assessment for uh, new teachers, and we try to find someone who will help them in their own journey in figuring out what they need for their learning in their classroom. So then we, we do professional development for the mentors in learning-focused conversations and uh, bigger picture practices and uh, inquiry and things like that in order to work in a meaningful way with adults. We're used to working with students, but sometimes adult, well, adults are a different matter altogether. Yeah. 
So what you, you say you do a needs assessment. What kinds of uh, areas of need do you come up with? It's we get a pretty wide range, but there's a few that always come to the top: literacy and numeracy, the big ones. Um, support usually in um, differentiation in those. That's often okay. the big one. Uh, we get a lot of requests for doing inquiry in the classroom, which is great. One of the trends we're seeing more is um, embedding indigenous perspectives and practices in the classroom. Those are the biggest ones okay. by far. Yeah. I you know, am curious because I teach, you know, prospective mm -hmm. teachers. So, uh, you know what, what the needs are and and um, you know, what we might be doing better. What are the needs in your mind? Because I mean, my perspective is one. But like, what what do you think are the needs of students? Um, yeah, it, based on my experience, one is to get them into new assessment models, mm. uh, which you know relates to a whole bunch of other needs. But you know, getting them out of the content focus into thinking harder about you know, and we tend to jump into, okay, how am I going to assess this first? And just thinking about different models of assessment, different ways of uh, of finding out what kids have learned. Uh, essays are usually, and tests are usually the worst way yeah. to do that. We say that, and you say that on the day that uh, the PISA scores are released. They come out today? OECD, yeah, they came out. And yay, I mean, good. We've yeah. got more data about tests. Yeah, and you know, so, so much revolves around you know, how you do assessment and how you think about assessment because you know, if you're driven by the SLOs, you know, each little detail, and I think that pendulum is starting to shift back a little bit. Towards SLO or away no, from away, I'm hoping that we're pulling back from that a bit, you know, where every teacher had every SLO and was doing check marks, see which kids had passed or completed each one. Um, <clears throat> a lot of busy work that doesn't focus on the student, really. Yeah. Uh, it, you and know, their development as human beings. What you're saying scans with me. Um, if I have teachers who are identifying that they're thinking about literacy and numeracy practice and differentiation, like that to me is saying they've got some kind of assessment going on. It's formal or informal that tells them, oh, my students are different. And then they're looking for that. So now what's the next step in that? So yeah. I think there's probably some alignment in, in those needs. Yeah. Uh, Aboriginal perspectives. Mm -hmm. A big one because, quite frankly, our mix isn't very good of the teachers who are, the people are coming into education um, don't represent the population of Manitoba terribly well. No. Which isn't to say that they aren't going to be great teachers, um, but they have no first-hand knowledge. And, and nor is it to say that there's a, a, a deficit in the indigenous population, right? right. And, and you're not oh, saying no. that. But I think that's something to draw out, too, in the, in the structural way that uh, voices have not always been able to come forward. And yeah. you know, it's kind of interesting, because um, when we talk about different perspectives, we need those voices in the system mm -hmm. for lots of reasons. But when you get different perspectives, it's a challenge to that model. So as we get yes. uh, indigenous perspectives, um, and I mean, and obviously those are different from uh, province to province, but we've been 
using the um, spirals of inquiry of ABC, mm-hmm. uh, which they align with uh, the First Nations principles of learning there. And those principles of learning are more inquiry focused. Yeah. And it will be vital to get more voices at the table and different voices at the table because that is probably part of our being stuck in an industrial model as well. It has favored certain people, they become the teachers, and then they repeat that model. So the indigenous perspective is a big part. And a lot of them are aware that they need to shift. It's just they don't have the experiential background um, to make that shift Mm -hmm. because... If they're in education, that means they uh, have at least 15 years of formal education that they bought into and done well in. Yeah. No fault of their own. I mean. You think they want to? You think they want to get better? That's a, Yeah, actually, that, my students do. Yeah. They, they have a genuine interest and concern. They don't necessarily know how in the, you know, the, the one or two half courses that they've taken along the way. Because part of why I wonder that is because the system has favored them. Yeah. If the system changes, you're no longer in favor, quotation fingers. And the game-based learning is a part of that. So what do you do when you're approached with something that's actually very different? And is there a reluctance to go with it because it doesn't fit the model? Or is there an embracing of it to try to make it work? And I think that's where we see actual intent. I think no one will say they don't want to get better. No one says that. But when the opportunity presents itself, how does that happen? Um, so for like, let, let's say we went to um, a real, and I don't know if this is the right word to use, indigenization of the classroom. Uh, let's say we get rid of um, individualized classes in high school and everything is done holistically. One teacher teaches all subjects together, integrated. Um, and that's a pre-industrial way of thinking. Um, how excited are your students going to be to do that? Your students who are in a high school stream? Theoretically, they're going to be very excited. <laughs> Practically, they're not going to know what to do. Right. right. They, they haven't really been taught it, and they haven't really experienced it. So there's going to be some real angst there about, okay, this would be a neat thing to do, but and part of it will be but are we preparing them properly for university? Mm-hmm. The 25 to 30% that actually go to university. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and why are we not focusing on that 75%? Because the ones that are going to go on to university are probably going to get their regard, regards. Right. Regardless. Uh, and, and again, it's funny, going back to the idea of games. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way, games are preparing students more for the... Uh, world outside of school than the, the school is sometimes because you are teaching students to work collaboratively to problem solve to find challenge and overcome it uh, to think differently in different contexts uh, uh, G refers to the idea of semiotic domains uh, and so the, the semiotic domain of the school could be different than in the game world the game world to be different than the work Yes. Teach us to wear different hats at different times and be really mindful, man, like that word, being very uh, aware of where we are and what we're doing and, and the rules and norms of each area. Uh, in that way, games are pretty effective. Uh, good games, certainly, yeah. can do that in a way that schools don't always. Uh, games are um, embracing of 
I don't want to say the future, certainly the present. I don't know that they're embracing the future uh, in a way that schools aren't. Schools are really embracing the past. And so the use of games and, and, and legitimizing of games uh, can be a way to have students recognize themselves as learners. And that's, I think, really, really key, is when we have that identity piece. Um, if we don't identify as a learner, it's harder to be successful. And if you say, oh, your success in games shows that you're a good learner, yeah, that may be a buy-in piece. All right. This is actually possibly a good transition. One of the things that we like to do at the end of our podcast is to have you give us a, a good question or a, a think piece for our listeners to, uh, to work with after they've listened to the podcast. Uh, oh, it's funny to be on this side mold. of it yeah. because um, I ask my uh, people I talk with to give a resource that is important or has influenced mm-hmm. them. And it's funny because in the moment you kind of have to think there's a struggle there. And I, now I'm on receiving and it's like, okay, good question. Um, well, I can always edit out to <laughs> <laughs> the time nope. lag. Nope, nope. You, authenticity, Randy. The yeah. whole thing. Show, show people how... Uh, I have no thoughts and struggle to come to them. Um, I guess. I'm going to talk out loud in my thinking. Yep. I think our questions should be student-focused. So the questions that we ask ourselves about our practice come back to students and student learning. And so a question could be is uh, when you're not around who do you hope your students are that's an example of the question is it the best one I didn't ask for the best one well yeah <laughs> you didn't ask for a bad one but here I am yeah. well, that would have required a dance warning <laughs> for the best question no but yeah that's a good question Yeah, uh, and I think that'll give our listeners uh some pause and you know, um, but I, I guess maybe maybe I'm wrong. I'm backtracking a bit because there are questions that are important that we ask ourselves. Uh, things like what do we value and how does that inform what we do and how does that bias what we do? Yeah. Um, for example, uh, uh, John Hattie's a big name right, right now. Uh, I, I spoke with him on the podcast, and if your value as a teacher is formal data. Hattie's going to really apply to you because he gives some very concrete um, data about what he thinks good practice is. And, yes, and his just, list of effective. Right. And he and I disagreed on that, mm-hmm. about the value of, of a meta-analysis. So I think a reflective teacher is thinking about the things implicit in how they're teaching and whether or not that is good for students. Uh, is that kind of formal data what they need and what's going to help you to help them? Okay. Yeah. Those are good things to think about. Okay, I hope so. Thanks very much, Devin. Thank Appreciate you, you taking the time and uh, wish you all the best Thank in this newish. How long have you been in this job? This is uh, month three. Okay, yes, in this new job. Very new job. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Manitoba Association for Computing Educators, MANACE, for sponsoring these podcasts. And thanks, too, to Tofu Stravinsky for the soundtrack. See you next time.